Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text today is from our gospel lesson we just heard. We recall, as it began, it was a Sabbath day. And one could do no work in accordance with the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. A day set aside to worship Jesus And Jesus went to the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. That could end up to be a pretty wild party. Because the Pharisees believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, just like we do. However, they had a book of rules and commands. One must do this, or one must do that, if he or she were to believe as a true servant of the Messiah. Yeah, the Pharisees would likely exalt themselves as proud servants of the Messiah and boast how they have served him throughout their whole life. And they looked on others as second-class citizens. So the Pharisees were watching Jesus very carefully, you know, seeing if he's going to make any mistakes. And there was a man with dropsy at the party, or had edema, which was the building up of fluids. Whether he was placed there by the Pharisees or if he just showed up that day, Scripture doesn't tell us. But edema is the retention of body fluids, and through that retention of fluids, well, it's difficult for one to breathe on a regular basis. And they gain weight. Has a whole host of medical conditions. Well, Pharisees are watching Jesus and they're asking Jesus this question Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, Jesus doesn't answer them, does he? Instead, he heals the man, he becomes well. And then he asks the Pharisees a question in return. Is it lawful for a man to rescue a fellow human or an ox who happens to fall into a well on the Sabbath day? Because on the Sabbath, even though you couldn't work, if one of your livelihoods or a person, a human, would fall into a well, you certainly would go and retrieve it. But the Pharisees couldn't answer. They were lost for words. They didn't know what to say. They didn't even know how to respond. So Jesus tells them a parable. That's what Jesus does a lot of times, isn't it? He talks to them in a story. And congregation members like stories. Jesus knew that as well. He starts out, he says, there's going to be a party. He's referring to the party we have at the end of time, at the moment of death, when we have the celebration of life, and we go into our eternal home. But we have a part of that party right now, today, in the Lord's Supper. We call it the now, but not yet. We experience a portion of it by receiving Christ's body and blood, but we don't have it yet fully 
until God takes our breath. But he's going to host a party, a wedding feast. And Jesus says, when you go to that party, don't take the high chair up next to the table. You know how the receptionist at the weddings, and there's usually two long tables for the bride's family and the parents' family and for the wedding party around them. He said, don't go up into the highest place, but take back to the lowest place. Well, the Pharisees are having a difficult time with this because they always see themselves as the most important guest. After all, they have kept all the laws that they have tallied down in their book, every jot and tittle of them. They've kept those rules that they made and that they were the enforcers. But Jesus burst their bubble. This is where it gets interesting, isn't it? Jesus comes in and tells those Pharisees, he says, if a man's invited to a feast, and he comes in with the host, and he comes up to where you are sitting, and he asks you to please move and sit down, that place is reserved for someone better than you. And then as you get up, you'll feel downcast and a little sad when you're walking back to the lower position. Everyone will see you get up to give this man seemingly of more importance your seat and move down to the empty seat. Beautiful teaching of Jesus on humility and exaltation. We can't say that in the, in the Lutheran church here at Grace. There's a few of you in the back of the church, but you took in the lower seats. But when you're asked to move forward, you will move forward. But he's not talking about in church attendance. We prefer sitting in the front hear the word, to see better. But Jesus is teaching humility and exaltation. In Philippians 2, 5 to 8, Paul helps us to understand these words. He tells us, have this mind among yourself, which is also the mind of Christ. And that was the problem with the Pharisees, wasn't it? They had the wrong mind. They had the mind that works could bring salvation. They're keeping all their commands, jot and tittle. They were able to follow them completely. And Jesus says, have my mind. And what is God's mind or Jesus' mind? Paul tells us, Jesus being in the form of God did not count himself equal to God. But Jesus made himself of no reputation. He wasn't one of the most handsomest men that walked the earth. He took the form of a servant. He became a man. And he came in the likeness of a man. And Jesus looked like you and I on the earth, a man. And then it tells us he humbled himself. His hum humility came as he came down from heaven, the great throne in heaven. He was God. 
as he became obedient to his Father's will. The will of God is always best. That's the hymn that we're singing later in the service. He became obedient to his Father's will to the point of his own death, even the death of the mortar, death on the cross. But Jesus gave up his heavenly home. He came down to earth. We celebrate that at Christmas, the incarnation, when God came into the flesh. The words of that creed very well state the humility of Jesus. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And yet Jesus is the true Son of God at the same time, received the true human body and soul. He felt all the same temptations and worries and trials that we feel. He was there. He had a true human body and soul. He felt pain. He felt rejection. He got hungry, thirsty. The human body and soul came from the soul of the Virgin Mary. Through the miraculous power of God's Holy Spirit, not through a human father. But Jesus is true God and true man. And that's why we call him the God-man. Isaiah 7, 14 explains it even further. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. That's God with us. That's something the Pharisees couldn't quite grasp, the divinity and humility of Jesus. How can this man also be God? We learned that in the Christmas story too, don't we? Emmanuel, the God with us. As a man, Jesus endured poverty, contempt, persecution in his earthly life. At his birth, he was born in the manger. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes, strips of cloth. Herod tried to murder him soon after his birth and he escaped to Egypt. Even in his hometown in Nazareth, his own family and members of his synagogue tried to get him together and throw him down the hill. But he walked through the crowd. And even in the temple they picked up stones to kill him. But Jesus gave up his life. He died a painful and agonizing death upon the cross. A death that was meant to be for the worst of sinners. A slow death that finally ended in suffocation. When he heard him say his last word at the cross, he gave up his spirit. No one took it from him. No one nailed him to the cross. He gave it voluntarily, his life. You know, we believe 
that Jesus died for me. Now there's that one big word we learned in confirmation class. It's one that you'll probably forget when you get home. But you might, be in, you might impress Pastor Thorson when he comes back and says, hey, I learned this word. Vicarious atonement. Vicarious means for me. Jesus atoned by giving his life for me. Vicarious atonement. Can you say it? Vicarious atonement. And then, did he just die for me, as Martin Luther says? No, he died for everyone, the whole world, for all. And that word, and this is a little easier, vicarious is the Latin form, but the, the word for all people he died for is universal atonement. Much easier to remember, isn't it? Universal, he died for all. He gave his life for everyone. Yes? The best way to explain that is Jesus is my substitute. We do nothing. Jesus is my substitute. He took my place under God's law and God's judgment. And Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. For my guilt. And Jesus has told he made satisfaction for my sins and the sins of everyone who believes the gospel. And Jesus did it voluntarily. Nobody took it from him. He came down from heaven to be born a man. He gave himself to become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus laid aside for a moment his divine powers. He had the power to step down from the cross at any time. He had the power to not be beaten. But he set aside his divine powers for that time to take on the power of his humanity. He became a man to suffer and die for you and for me. Jesus laid us, or in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, we hear those verses a lot through the Lenten season of the church year. And the hymn, Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted, ties in well with these verses. It tells us, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. That's a gospel message, isn't it? Jesus died for you and me. Universal atonement. Vicarious atonement. But you know, in our Old Testament reading today, if you were in the Bible class, you knew it. Our Old Testament lesson includes these words. I believe it's in verse 9 of the Old Testament reading. 
A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and setting of silver. When the world looks at the cross and Jesus hanging on the cross, they see a pretty wretched form. But as Christians, believers in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we see that cross of Jesus as apples of gold in settings of silver because of our life are given to him. And we become new creatures. Jesus died so that my life and abundant life could be here on earth both today and forever. So see, we're having a party today at communion table. But that's just the beginning. The best is yet to come, as we sing in our liturgy. Paul tells the church in Philippi several things. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And Paul was struggling here at this time in prison, wondering what he should do. He's torn. He says, if I live in the flesh, that means I can continue to proclaim the gospel, continue to win people over for Christ through his word, continue partaking of those apples of gold and settings of silver. Yet which should I choose? I cannot tell. Paul's hard-pressed between the two. Maybe we are too. My desire is to part and be with Christ, to begin that wedding feast. That's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. So convinced of that, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you as we progress and have joy in the faith. And then you'll be able to have ample cause to give glory to Christ Jesus. Because I'll be coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of your calling, of the gospel. Whether I come to you or I'm absent from you, I still may hear you standing at the foot of the cross, firm in one spirit, having one mind, striving side by side by the faith of the gospel. You ever took those words and pull them apart? Standing firm in one spirit, the true Christian church, with one mind, and then it goes on further. It don't just happen on Sunday morning when we hear this word, but it goes on and says, striving side by side throughout the week as we go to our jobs, our places of employment, as we go to our homes, or we do things with the senior center, wherever we're at, we're striving side by side with the faith of the gospel. And that gospel is the good news. The apples of gold in settings of silver. If you remember one thing about me today, you're going to remember that one, I'm sure. Especially if you're here in Bible class, we'll see. But we're not frightened by anything. 
It's a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation comes from God, from the Lord. One God, one faith, one baptism, one Lord and Savior of us all. It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ Jesus, you should not only believe in him, but who suffer for his sake. We're engaged in that same conflict that Paul was. Maybe we haven't been to prison, but we're still servants and slaves of Christ, knowing that we too could suffer persecution and death. We're engaged in it. But we continue to hear that wonderful news of the gospel, don't we? And that gospel brings us that good news. Truly, the gospel message, Jesus died for you and for me. Those are words of, words of golden apples in settings of silver. Humor me for a moment. Let's all say it together. Apples of gold in settings of silver. That's wonderful, isn't it? Go in peace and serve the Lord. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.